Welcome to Being Mom, a podcast about modern motherhood. I'm your host, Ali Kozel. This is where we have honest conversations about the mind-blowing transition to motherhood, nurturing our families, and the beautiful roller coaster ride of being a mom. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, welcome back to the show. It is December. Can you believe it? I am telling you every single year, December sneaks up on me. It's like it's August and then boom, it's December. It surprises me every year. And I actually love December because living in Los Angeles, we get so many months of sun and I'm an atypical Angelino in that I actually don't love it. I actually probably because I grew up in Northern California, I love cooler weather, the crisp, foggy air just brings out that sweet nostalgia feeling in my body. And over the last couple of weeks, we have finally turned a little cooler and gotten a lot of rain actually for our area. Um, So that's been really wonderful. And I know that many of you have probably already started receiving snow. In fact, I know this. I've seen beautiful pictures of friends of mine in the first snow, including actually my first podcast guest. She lives in Canada and she just posted on Instagram this beautiful video of the first snow falling in the trees that surround her home. So I'm really happy to be introducing my first podcast guest. Can you believe it? I think I talked about being really happy in my first episode of this podcast. So I guess I guess maybe podcasting just makes me feel really happy, which is fun. Anyway, my first guest, we're going to get into it. Her name is Michelle Tamblin Sabo, and she is the mother of two young children. And as I said, she lives in Canada near Toronto. She is married to her partner, JP, and they have one seven-year-old daughter whose name is Penelope Love and one five-year-old son named William Maxwell, who they call Will. Oh, and they also have one fur baby who is named Maple, and Maple is a shepherd mix. Maple is so cute, and you must check out the pictures on Instagram. She goes to the yoga studio. (laughs) Actually which is because Michelle is a yoga teacher. She's also a hair witch because from what I understand, she creates magic as a hairstylist. And she is the creatrix of Goddess Flow, which is a yoga-inspired feminine movement practice. Michelle describes herself as a wildly passionate woman that sees potential and possibility in life. And she has a deep-seated belief that when we align with our soul's wisdom, anything is possible. And we actually talked about it a little bit. I asked her how we can connect with our soul voice. And so I will absolutely share that part of our conversation a little later in the show. But I wanted to start with Michelle's story of becoming mom. So here is Michelle sharing about her pregnancy and the birth and arrival of her firstborn, Penelope, 
and then the journey of becoming a family of four. Here she is, introducing Michelle. So with your firstborn, Penelope, um, tell me about um, becoming or being pregnant for the first time. Did you, was it like a deeply conscious choice to become pregnant or did you leave it up to chance? Like, tell me about that story. So I always knew I wanted babies. Like I, that was something I always wanted. Yet at the same time, um, kind of attaching to that goal of like, getting married and having babies was not something that really served me well in the decision-making process of dating, of like moving Mm -hmm. towards that. So um, I always had irregular periods. So I I was always questioning, is this even going to be possible? Is it going to be hard for me? And then once JP and I got together and I knew like, this is my forever partner, uh, I got pelvic inflammatory disease which is um, like a cyst on your fallopian tube and like killer antibiotics. It was like one of the sickest times I've ever been in my life. And, you know, like one of my fallopian tubes was at risk. And in that process, I chose, it was a conscious choice to just let go of what I think might happen because I don't know if it was possible. Like with that, just kind of deep seated wonder of my kind of my cycles being so irregular in my whole life and then pelvic inflammatory disease. I'm like, is this going to be possible? And I have to be able to be okay mm-hmm. if this is not possible. So I, I kind of stored that in my awareness as something that I had to potentially move on from if it wasn't possible for me. So I just was like, like went through this kind of grief stricken, like letting go process of that for myself. And just said, you know what? I want to be with this man. We're going to just do our thing. Like literally do our thing and whatever <laughs> happens, happens. Um, so we got engaged and then married six weeks later because his mom wasn't well. And we wanted to, we wanted her there. And um, on my wedding day, I was just like oof, exhausted. I'm like, I'm feeling so tired. My breasts look great. And I was some like there was points in my wedding day I was more concerned with the poutine than my husband. So I'm like, what's going on? Like I don't feel great. And then on our honeymoon, we found out we were pregnant with Penelope. Oh, exciting! So that was the biggest gift in the world. Like because I thought it would not be. I did never thought. I never even considered that it could potentially just be easy. So it was a gift that made me feel sick for three months straight. Yeah, I yes. didn't feel good. But that I was just so overjoyed that this was happening that it's like that was just besides the point. Yeah. Yeah. So you did have some morning sickness then? Um, I would just say all like all day. Like it was that kind of thing, like where you're like, oh my God, yes, peanut butter sandwiches. I can eat peanut butter sandwiches. That would make me feel good. And then the next day it was like, how did I even eat a peanut butter sandwich so that went on for like three to four months Mm -hmm. and because like I have been doing yoga for as many years as I have um, I had really flexible joints so I had pubic symphysis my joints got so lax in my pelvic region that I had to like wear a belt to hold my pelvis together and for like the last six to eight weeks of my pregnancy maybe even more I was like any distance I had to be wheelchaired. Oh my gosh. Because I couldn't walk because the instability of my pelvis 
Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. I just imagining oh, yeah. you in particular, like being wheeled around, it's just so incongruous. Yeah. Yeah. And I was in both, both pregnancies. Oh, both. Mm-hmm. Wow. So like once, once I find a really good chiropractor towards the end of my second pregnancy and that, and the belt, like that held me together, it made it less painful. Yeah, so it wasn't wow. super easy. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. No. No. Wow. Okay. So what was birthing like then? Did it present any challenges there or not at all? It was, it was challenging. I want, like I had midwives. I, I planned to have like a, a hospital birth with midwives, but I wanted to do it as much, you know, as much of it at home as possible. Um, so I did get a stretch and sweep. So I do feel like that kind of put my body into labor before I was particularly, or before she was particularly ready. So I was like laboring at home for about 36 hours and I was like one center, one centimeter dilated. So she wasn't like, she wasn't actually hitting my cervix. So there was no Mm -hmm. change. So it, that was like, so disheartening. You're working so hard. I'm on all fours. I'm crawling around. I'm in the bath. You know, you're doing all the things and nothing was changing. Right. And so I, I, I had to go on, um, I had to get an epidural to like, let my body relax to see if that would change anything. And, you know, I think it was, you know, you had to dilate like, you know, half a centimeter every hour. Mm. I think that was it. Right. And like, like I I dilated like perfectly in that kind of really slow pace that they required for me not to move into a cesarean. Ah. And, you know, meeting Penelope, she, like in any kind of transition, she needs a push. Like she needs a push. Like literally even in walkways, doorways, I'm like, okay, (laughs) we're going to go through here. And she just, arrives nowhere in a hurry but right on time like Mm. so that's like it's like the story of her life her birth yeah so it was slow and steady and you know after I don't know six another six eight hours she came wow what was it like to the first you know in the moments of birthing her and meeting your baby in that way oh my god uh I, you know, <laughs> I, we didn't know what we were expecting. I felt like it was a girl, but there was like, there was a part of me that really wanted a girl, but you know, that part you don't <laughs> want to like actually put any attention to while you're actually pregnant. Right. I can say that before <laughs> you're having babies, but right. Um, and even with all of those like challenges, I loved giving birth. Like I would rather go through birth than pregnancy personally. Um, and that moment, it was just like seeing my husband's face, seeing my sister's face. And when I saw my sister's face, I knew it was a girl. Cause she was like, <laughs> cause she has two little girls. And my husband was just like, Oh my God, it was, it was, it was uh, like, everything changed. Love was redefined. And, and also like my grandmother said in that moment, all the pain goes away. Like my ribs, I had like rib stuff happening in that moment. You're like, oh, my body's mine again. Like in that moment, it was like as much as you're like, you know, torn or whatever's happening, like this ease came over my body to have like space back in. Yeah, it was extraordinary. Oh, wow. I've never heard it described that that way, but um, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like the moment that 
you know, you birth this beautiful creature, suddenly there's space again for you to have you. Yeah. And it it was like visceral, like in that moment, I was like, because of all of the other, like these little pains and aches that were constant, that in that moment they were gone. And I'm like, Oh, I love this version of us, you on the outside. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. So, so after the birth of your daughter, then how else did you experience shifts, you know, in relationship to your body or anything else? Well, you know, there was, there was, I think to really like, you know, be honest about it now in this moment that I'm seeing, like going back through this whole journey as we speak of it. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of out of body stuff, meaning there was so much ang- like anxiety and fear. And like, I really wanted to be in my den. Like, I really mm-hmm. want to be with my baby. And of course, like, it's my first baby. So everyone wants to come and see the baby. And I did not want anyone to see the baby. I want to be with mm-hmm. my baby. Like I remember people coming over and I'm like in my closet crying my eyes out, you know, like, I'm like, oh my God, like that, it was hard. It was, I'm like, why are you here? And why are you taking my baby? So like, I know that you're like, maybe my mom or like an aunt, like people I love, but in that moment, whether it sounds delusional or not, that's how I felt. Like, so when she was over, like away from me, I felt away from me. Oh. Right. Because in that we were one, we've been like, we were one. So like, there's a part of me that was completely entangled, of course, and in her and same with me. So we're now finding our sovereignty, like finding our own individuality on the outside. So that was a really, that was a struggle. And of course I didn't have this awareness then, so I didn't really know what was happening. So when she was away, I felt away. Like, so the relationship with my body became like one with her, like it was that it had to like slowly like separate. Of course, the birthing process is relatively fast in that separation. But then on the outside, we have we're, like, we're growing into these individuals again. Right. Yes. Her, her, me is me. Like, she's not mine. I'm not hers. We're just in partnership here on like on this journey for each other so that was a struggle yet um you know having my own body back in a completely different way was this relief of just being able to move freely with a baby you know which I had to because I had to wear her for eight months she didn't want to be anywhere but worn in movement so I had to be moving and wearing her all the time yeah, because you were teaching. Oh right? no, she didn't oh. want to be put down ever. Got it. She just <laughs> needed that closeness. Yeah, yeah, and movement. She wanted movement. She didn't want to be still ever. So that yeah, was, I assume yeah. she's probably still like that. <laughs> no. Oh no! But it's totally like her to want someone else to do it for her. Ah, she's yes. like she's like the 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 just the queen of being slow moving and like this just gentle easeful way in that type of like lunar lunar aspect of her energy so she was just like oh i want to be moved but you do it for me <laughs> like no, i'm not doing it you take care of me that's her yeah yeah and um 
because she did so, need so much closeness, how did that change or shift your relationship to your husband? If it did. Oh, it did. And at the time, like at the time he noticed it changed, I did not notice it changed because the Penelope required a lot. We co-slept. She nursed herself to sleep. She needed to be worn. So I, I, I spent all of my energy on her. So I did not have any, even awareness that I wasn't giving energy or focus or attention to my husband. And he felt that impact and he like, you know, approached me and talked to me about it. And I was just like, I got nothing. Like I have nothing to give. And I can't even think about this right now because I'm sleeping four hours a day, you know? So that was a struggle. That first year was a struggle. And especially being a new mom for the first time, I was like in that kind of place where I'd be sleeping and she'd be sleeping with me and I would wake up like, "Uh, yep, you're still alive and go back to sleep. Uh, Yep. You're still alive. You know? So it was like this, this completely new life that is so precious that, you know, is in my care that I was, you know, there was postpartum there for sure. Yet I didn't, I didn't even have the awareness of that at the time. Right. You're just so, so in it. So, you know, after the first, I would say year, really, you know, I I could start to navigate anything outside of us, you know, and my husband and our relationship and what it required. So it was, it was tricky. We didn't like, there wasn't like fighting happening, but it was just, we're, we're trying to get through this. (laughs) Let's just get through this. Yeah. And I, was he an involved parent? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I can imagine. He wore the baby. Like my best sleeps when he was holding her, like she would sleep on his chest. So then I know she's not dying. Like he's got her so I could sleep. He totally, totally was. So, but what she needed one of us. So so there was never like, I'm going to put you down. And then there's the two of us. There was like, that didn't happen for the first year, you know? So it was about Penelope and as it should have been at that time, she needed that. She needed that love and she needed that attention. And, you know, looking back, like we, we had just been married for not even a a year, like, you know, nine months, (laughs) like we've been married for nine months. So we're still navigating our own relationship. So it was it was a whole a whole slew of things yet when i look back i don't feel like there was like a bad spot it was just a very new spot to be in yes to to learn from i remember my brother after i had my son who's my only um my brother has a son also and i remember him telling me that you know when my son was born, that there wasn't just one new relationship to be navigated, but it was like, um, the, the relationship between me and my son, and then the relationship between my husband and my son, and then my relationship, uh, um, you know, obviously we had to keep the relationship between me and my husband, but then also (laughs) the relationship of the three of us. So like the dynamic, it's like, you know, just with one, adding one baby, suddenly you're dealing with for relationships. <laughs> right, um, right. You know, and that's challenging. Yeah. Oh, so challenging, you know? And at that time, you're just, you're focused on survival. You're focused on base needs. Like, am I going to eat lunch? Am I going to have 
enough water today? Am I going to sleep? Like, never mind all of the other things that are happening. Like that, that was my, that was my focus. Nursing, poo, sleep for us all. (laughs) Yes. Right. Right. And then you had your second child and are they two years apart? Exactly. Like exactly. Like two years, 10 days apart birthdays. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Was that a a conscious choice to have another or? Nope. 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 (laughs) Um, you know, we wanted to have another, but I mean, at that time it wasn't the conscious choice. I was still nursing Penelope and it was funny because we were on honeymoon in Mexico at a yoga yoga retreat. So we like coupled my husband teaching at a yoga retreat with our honeymoon because we got married so quickly. So we were supposed to go back when Penelope would have been just over, just over one. So, um, we were supposed to go back and JP like for months was saying, Oh, we're going to get pregnant in Mexico. I'm like, no, we're not. Like, that's not going to happen. Whatever. I'm like, you know what? I want to nurse longer before like I get pregnant again. So let's not do that. Like, let's not do that. <laughs> let's just wait. Let's just wait. Let's just wait. So we're supposed to go to Mexico, but Penelope ended up having like full body hives the night before, which we actually thought were chicken pox. Ooh. So we, her and I couldn't get on the plane. And when JP got back, we found out we were pregnant. So we would have been pregnant in Mexico, like he said. So yeah, that was that, you know, and cause I thought is if we're going to get pregnant again, like we kind of had the jackpot of just kind of easily getting pregnant the first time. There's no way that's going to happen again. And it did. Yeah, <laughs> it did. And I could feel like William knocking at the like, you know, cosmic door. Like I am ready to come. I could feel him and that's totally his personality. Yeah. So, and was his yeah. birth different, similar? Oh, it was different. It was so different. So he, um, again, we got midwives, and we had we had a place like a hospital that we went to that took midwives, and so we had our own suite. So you know, went to labor was of course I was in my transitional point, which was like, give me whatever you've got type thing, mm-hmm. but it. In that transition, I was, you know, three, kind of four four centimeters dialing. So I was actually dialing on on my own. And then once that transitional period came, I just went into the bath. They put my midwives put me in the bathtub where I just fell asleep. Like I had one of those births. Like I fell asleep in the bath and I would just kind of like, you know, breathe a little bit while I was like sleeping and, and, and also having my contractions. And then all of a sudden, he was ready to come and he didn't, I did not push at oh, all. Wow. He pushed himself out. Like I was, so the sound was more like, like something is coming out of my body. So these sounds are coming out, but I did not bear down like I did with Penelope and push. So he just came. It was so beautiful. Cause I was just lying there and he just showed up, which is ex- like exactly his personality. He's like, I am coming here I come. I'm not waiting for you. I'm not waiting for them. I'm coming. Yeah. So it was, it was extraordinary. Like there was no tearing. There was like, it was just, it was beautiful. And I felt great after. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing those stories. I love Mm -hmm. hearing birth stories and I love telling them. (laughs) I know what, um, so, so then, well, you know, kind of going back to what we touched on before, you know, now the arrival of a second child into the dynamic of your you know, 
three three person family. How was that? And how did that affect your life? I, I felt like that was less of transition because I didn't have that like anxiety. I felt like, okay, we can do this. Like this is no big deal. Like I didn't feel stressed like I did. I didn't feel um like that disconnection from life <laughs> because of course I had to pay attention to my husband and Penelope now that I was like more back in myself. Yes. And the birth was also there was it was not as long. I wasn't as exhausted, you know, it was and he slept. Like you could put this one down. Like I could lie him down and he would just sleep. So I was less exhausted, which meant for me less anxious. And they're me- like the meeting of Penelope and Will. Oh my God, she's two. And she just comes in the room and says, I see you, William. I see you. It was like the most beautiful thing. And they've just been like the best of friends after. So it's been, I didn't feel like that was anything challenging or it was just beautiful. It was just like, I felt like we're all here. Mm. We're now all here. Yeah. Like no one else is waiting. We're, we've all arrived. Yeah. There's a com- like a completeness. That's nice. Yeah. One of the things that inspires me about Michelle is feeling how connected she is to her personal values. And a few years ago, I actually had the pleasure of teaching with Michelle in Canada, and I was so lucky to be able to stay with her and her children in their home. And while I was there, I remember being so moved by the high level of authenticity that I observed her to be living her life from. She's one of those people who you can tell really shows up for herself and for her kids in ways that feel completely true to who she is at her core. And so when I was getting ready to be in conversation with her here, I read her Lululemon profile because she's a wonderful yoga and movement teacher. So it's actually no surprise that she is a Lululemon teaching ambassador. And what I learned is that there are five words that describe Michelle's personal philosophy. And her goal is to be led by them every day and in every way. So her five guiding words are love, devotion, playful, sexy, and soulful. So I asked Michelle how these words influence her when she's being mom, and the conversations that unfolded were filled with her mama wisdom. Mm, I love that question. Um... I think playfulness is is who I am. Like I feel more comfortable with kids for the most part. Like if I'm at a dinner party, I'm like, where are the embodied souls here? Because <laughs> like they're just so themselves. They're so real. We could talk about anything. And even if like, you know, what I'm sharing, they're not interested in. They'll just be like, yeah, no, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> so but, honest. Like, right? The honesty, like there's, there's no 
falsehood and they're just them so themselves that that playfulness is just a, that's where I play that's a place where I can place it. So playfulness is huge with my kids. Um, devotion is I think what JP and I model in our like day-to-day practices, like just when we're paying paying gratitude to our food. And in, usually in a playful way, we have like a like a, a prayer that we just made up and we uh, will sing it at all different like odd keys and tones and we howl and we make things that are really sacred fun. Mm. So it's it's engaging to them. They want to be a part of it less that like, because for the most part in being a, even a kid's yoga teacher, kids don't want to be serious. They they don't. They it, It's not interesting. It's not fun. It's not engaging. It's not speaking at their level. So when we make like devotional experiences, like even the way that we speak to nature, engaging, they they start to understand how they can incorporate that in their language, not in our language. Well, I think that's so wonderful though. Like, cause I'm now I'm hearing those two words together, like engaging in a playful devotion, which gives it such a lovely lightness, which is where they live. Yeah. Like they live in lightness. Like, you know, one could be freaking out crying and the other one's like, can I have a popsicle? Like, they're just like, okay, that's the emotions <laughs> happening over there. No big deal. Like we're going to move through it. No judgment. No judgment, right? And soulfulness is is huge for me, and because that's what we're souls and bodies. That's what we're looking to embody, right? And they're so close to that connection. Like there hasn't been so much life trauma, life experience, you know, over culture that has separated them from that. So being examples of that, but also reminding them daily that they've got what they need Mm. fully, completely. They might have to look for it. They might need to sit with it. They might need to, you know, inquire within, but they are here whole. How do you remind them? Like how, because I I love that. That's something I strive to do. And, you know, how, how can I teach my son that he has everything he needs or that he's enough just from who he is. What are the specific ways that you remind them or teach them? So what, what I've seen as like an, an adult educator is um, so many people say, I don't know. And they look to others for answers and questions, because especially those of us have gone through school for so many years, we're taught that we don't really have the answer. So when my kids ever like say, I don't know, I'm like, mm, that's not true. And I, and I say, like, I, and I, and I play, I just say, just make up as I'll whisper. I'm like, just make up any answer that you can come up with. So I'll say, you know, you have everything you need. You could say, Hmm, I haven't spent a lot of time wondering about that or being curious about that, or maybe I'm going to look into that more. So I change their languaging so that I don't know is not a part of their language. And, you know, I get them to just ask some funny questions like, um, what's a, what's a banana sister? And instead of saying, I don't know, they'll say, maybe it's a bamboo tree. I'm like, that could be an answer. Totally. Like, so we play in those kind of ways mm-hmm. that get them to build up that ability within themselves to feel that they know that they have the answer rather than the other. Mm, that's magnificent. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And then the other two words, love and sexy. Well, yeah, like sexy is just for me, like the adult version of playful, like 
totally allows you know it allows you to be turned on in life like literally like vibrant aligned like enlightened like awake and fully embodied it's I, for me sexy is the most grounding thing i can be because like i being a, a spiritual seeker really and i can i can often fl- float away but when i get connected to my sexuality i'm here like i'm i totally like i love naughty jokes like my kids god bless them they're going to hear like they they hear things <laughs> like and I, you know i'm passionate with jp we're playful with each other's bodies in front of them so that's something that we're modeling is a healthy relationship in that way and that there's nothing like sexuality is just as much a part of our being as our mentalities, our spiritualities, our emotionality, and that they're they're knowing that it's okay. Because yeah. when their teenage years comes, I want them to be able to say, you know, just like they say now, oh, I felt like this today. I want them to say, be able to share that about their any, anything about their sexuality, that it feels just as welcoming as anything else that they could talk about. Yeah. So that's that's huge. That's huge for me. It's, yeah, it's, it's essential. (laughs) It's essential. And, um, love. Well, we have a little wooden sign that we got made for our house that love is number one. Mm. Like let's make our decisions from love. Let's choose to treat each other from love. Even if that obviously that doesn't happen all the time, but we're always going to go back to that. But that's like, that's, that's not the goal, but that's the foundation. That's where our roots grow from. Right. Well, I mean, I think so often we separate love from certain feelings. Like I can't be angry and also have love. Right. I can't, right? right. And so I think that, you know, for me, I always try to connect those two for myself first. And then also, you know, for my son, like it's oh, okay brilliant. for you to be angry as long as it's coming from an open hearted love place. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, because you're a woman and a mother devoted to um, the art and practice of embodiment, what practical ways do you pass along that way of living to your children? I mean, I did. They must do yoga. They do, but you know, and they like, dance. I, I'm sure they dance. You know, they. Oh my God, Penelope is like a queen of making playlists for whatever <laughs> feeling that she's feeling. And dancing and just dancing, 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 like absolutely loves movement. Same with Will. Like they love to dance. They love to move. They, but you know, there, there are times where let's say anger comes out. Like in Will's, like it's usually Will. It's almost never Penelope. Like, and you know, I'm like, let's get up. Let's get up. Get your, get, get it moving through your body. And like, I'll, I'll just start to like pretend punch him or whatever, like tickle him, whatever, just to get like get that moving opposed to allowing him to kind of get stuck in it. So just teaching them that emotions incredibly important and moving and connecting to your body is essential. Yoga is something that I teach with them, but at the same time in what I've seen with kids, they want to play in yoga too. They want to make it fun. So we growl, we crawl, we like we pretend that we're their favorite toys, whatever it has to do, like whatever we have to do to get them to place that in themselves, in yeah. their own physicality. Nature is huge for us. Being in relationship to nature, 
being aware of their own bodies in nature, like even the sound quality, their words, what kind of quality of energy are you bringing out into the wilds, you know? So that's essential for us. Also speaking language of soul, because like embodiment and incarnation are this are one and the same to me. Like we're looking to incarnate in this flesh, pull ourselves fully here now in the present moment, which I feel kids do so beautifully. They do. But to keep them aware of that feeling, because there are going to be times later on that that's, there's going to be that separation that we often all feel, right? So um, just bringing their awareness to what they're doing as a form of medicine for themselves. Mm. Like, that's great. You know, like they're doing it naturally. But this is something that you can do on your own when you need it. If you're, you know, Penelope came to me the other day and she was, she was pretty tired and she's like, I'm really bored. I'm like, are you? she's never said that in her life. I'm like, are you really bored? She's like, I just don't know. Like, so she starts falling. She's like, I think I just need to listen to some music. And I'm like, okay. And then she put on headphones and like within a minute she's singing, she's dancing and she got to move that. Mm on her own accord. It was beautiful. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's magical. Um, what's your biggest challenge as a mother? Um, I have a couple of answers if that's okay. Yeah. I think, I think one, the one, um, most insidious challenge is just my own, you know, kind of quiet self-talk as if, you know, am I doing enough? Am I, am I paying enough attention? Like that little voice that, creeps in at late at night when you're going to bed and thinking, oh, I should have this or I should have that. That can be the biggest, that's a huge challenge. Um, Do you have active ways that you try to quiet that for yourself? I resonate with that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a simple choice. Like, it's like, um, imagine there's like our, like, I think of it as like our soul voice is like one mm-hmm. station on a radio and then our like ego voice is like another station on the radio. It's like, mm. who am I going to tune into? I'm not t- tuning into that broadcast that's playing the same thing over and over and over again. Fuck, <laughs> yeah. right? But um, you can, I'm attuning to the voice of love, which is within me. That's like, it's all good. Like they chose yeah. me. I chose them. Like whatever happens, it's, there's going to be messy days. I'm not perfect. That's for sure. So it's all a part of our growth, me yeah. included. So it's just, it's choosing what I'm listening to. And I think making conscious choices of where I'm putting my intention. Like when I'm with them, I'm with them. Like, Mm. because my being self-employed, there's always like things I can be pulled away from them and that feeds no one. So then that will amplify that voice. Ah, yes. Right. So when I'm in connection with them, when I'm like, when I'm spending that time with them, I'm with them. And then like, so having really good boundaries is important for me. Um, You're, and you're talking about boundaries between work and then parenting or play. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's another huge challenge. Like I, if, if all the meals were prepped, (laughs) I could just play all day. Like the things we could do if someone just provided the food for our family. So I spent a lot of time cooking. Right. So that's a challenge. I'm like, sometimes I'm just like, let's order pizza and then just play like, you know, which of course we do, but that's the balance of like, 
I can't, I, I know we want to play it like go like all night, but I, we got to eat. Like I got to make food. So like, that's a big, um, that's a big challenge. And, um, the, this, this last one, um, this, I'm going to read a quote if that's okay. It's by, um, Marion Woodman. This is a challenge that I feel like a lot, like myself and my other moms, um, can relate to like my friends. Um, a mother who is identified with being a mother has to have children who will eat what she gives them to eat and do what she wants them to do. They must remain children. Yes. So letting go of control constantly is this challenge to remind myself they've got this i'm here to keep them alive they can make their own choices mm-hmm. i don't have to tell them they know and there's going to be a natural consequence to whatever choice that they make that's going to actually be the real lesson for them in life that's going to have a real impact than me saying no maybe you should eat more broccoli you know, did you have your water? <laughs> like that is, that's like looking to kind of pull back the reins on that part of me that wants to overprotect them. Yes. That's keeping them small. Mm. Yeah. And not giving them the power to make choices because I think I know better. Right. Because yes, they're going to choose eating candy all day over me giving them vegetables. But Maybe they eat candy all day and they have a really bad belly ache. Then they're not going to do that. Then, like, so that is a big one. That's a challenge for me to just let them make their mistakes, let them make their choices. Yeah, I love that actually, and especially a relationship to food. I think <laughs> so many of us deal with, you know, how do we instill good eating habits? But then, like, here I am sitting as an adult, then I'm able to know, okay, well, what I'm ingesting is good for me or it's not good for me. And, but when I was six, I didn't, I didn't know. (laughs) No, because what I realized kids just are in party mode all the time. (laughs) Like, they're just like, why wouldn't I have this party right now? I can't think of a single reason. So they just are in the celebration, like that joy. So they're like, yeah, that's a great idea to have candy. Yeah, that's a great idea to have candy. Like there, and then we we do grow out. Like we do grow out of that. So, like I'm just trying to lessen the reins of being like you know the organic mom that just gives them gluten free, vegan, blah blah blah. Like yeah, you know what? Here's a Timbit. Like they're like a (laughs) yeah. I'm like what's that? Like Timbit is like a little donut, like a little round donut that you get at like Tim Tim Hortons that's in Canada. Like Mm -hmm. just have the freaking Timbit. You're not going to die. It's going to be fine. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's the challenge. I feel like I go back and forth. Like one day I'll just be like, eh, whatever, yeah. just have some ice cream. And then some days I'm like, you have to eat the broccoli. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. Uh, that's a day. Yeah. It's a daily practice. It's yes. a daily practice. And I just tell them it isn't a party all the time. Yesterday was a party. Today we're having some green things. Like Ooh. we've got to have I'm going to steal that. I like that. Yesterday was a party. Today <laughs> it's vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> I oh love god. that. Oh my god. <laughs> um you know, something I didn't know about you that I learned by reading your website, which I will um 
put in the show notes is you mentioned that you're an advocate for reconciliation Mm. with an awareness of the indigenous people of Canada. And I just found that so incredibly moving. Mm. Um, How did you become passionate about that? Um, I think birthed out of ignorance, to be truly honest, like being um, first generation Canadian, my, like my first language here was Hungarian. I went to Catholic school. I didn't know the roots of this country. Like I, I wasn't taught in school. No one told me. And then once, you know, I got into my thirties and I'm, I, I started to learn about the kind of the, the scar on this country's history. I, I felt responsible, you know, Mm. and like, not that I am like, you know, this white savior that can do better or, you know, help out because that there's been enough of that. It was just, how can the work that I'm doing with women Mm. contribute to the women of this land, this, the women of this country and bring awareness to the, the people that need I don't even want, like, I don't even, I, I shouldn't, I, you know, I'm pulling my, myself back to say, I don't know what they need, but to be able to contribute in a way that the, the people that know exactly what to do can, can, can help heal mm. and bring greater reconciliation there. So there's a percentage of the proceeds of whatever class that I'm doing, training that I'm doing goes to the um, National Women's Association of Canada for lost, missing and murdered Indigenous women. and. Because I know that I wanted to support women that couldn't, let's say, be in my circle, you know, or that I couldn't be in their circle. Right. So that was a way that we could bring our awareness. So like, in, like it, women that do my teacher training, rather than pay like a licensing fee to me, they, they simply contribute mm. to the NWCA. So that's kind of what keeps us together in supporting women. That's amazing. And I love that choice. And and also, so my kids know what's really happened here, and to to bring awareness to our privilege, yeah, because we are privileged here, and yes. at the same time, moving towards reconciliation in a way that still honors the not our ways, the indigenous ways, right? Because I I feel still an infant in this awareness. Mm. And, um, I, I want to always be very careful with my languaging because I'm still baby learning, um, the right ways of being in the situation that is so sensitive. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I still have very much to learn and I'm always open to like guidance. I have some amazing people in my life that I'm like, this is what I want to do. What would be the you know most respectful mm. way to support, you know, because we are affected by colonialism, myself included. So, right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like you are finding, you know, numerous ways to support, you know, that, that don't then also come in and oppress. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, when I asked you for a bio, (laughs) you mentioned that when a woman is connected to her soul's wisdom, anything is possible. And I'm just curious, how does a woman find this soul connection? Well, 
you know, I've, I've had the incredible honor to be in circles with hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of women. And there's none of us that doesn't know that little voice. There's never been a woman that doesn't know that sweet, gentle voice that's usually quite quiet within us that whispers like little simple things like just go to bed or it's going to be okay. You know, take a bath. You know, everything's going to be fine. That sweet, loving voice that we often kind of turn the other way or we, we tune back into the voice of the ego that's telling us that we're not enough, that we need to do more, that we're, you know, not a good enough mother, wife, worker, whatever it is. And just taking the time to listen. That wisdom is what is native to us, is what is like that that gap, that bridge between the invisible world of knowing and this beautiful manifest world. And we're mm. we're the keepers of that wisdom. We're, we need, we're the ones that need to do this for our pack, for our families, because we're so close to that. Like if I were to ask men, you know, that soft voice, no, no, they wouldn't have that same response. Not that men aren't intuitive, but it's not the same frequency as it is for almost every woman. We, woman, we need that to, for our kids, for our families, for the planet. And all I just say, all I invite women to do, including myself, is just take even a minute a day to just speak to that part mm-hmm. of you. Be in communion, in relationship, in intimate, embodied relationship with that part of ourselves that just simply has our answers. Yeah. Does it mean that it's the answer we want, like? But like the old, the challenge that we have is listening, is simply listening to that voice. Yes. Because when we do that, we become aligned with our authenticity, with who we really are before. Like who we are, like our kids, like our kids know, they just know, like before culture, you know, society taught us how Mm -hmm. we already have that wisdom, that teacher. It's like our inner teacher. There's so many different names archetypally for our soul's truth, but it's, you know, it's our inner goddess. It could be like, name it what you want to name it, but it's there. Like, how do we know what to do when we're as mothers? It's that voice that tells us. My, I don't know, my baby's breath, I'm not sure, doesn't, doesn't smell right. There, there, must be, there might be something wrong. It's that voice that lets us know, right? Yes. You know, one of the things that I'm interested in doing is I think so many women and mothers feel like in order to engage in embodiment or tuning into our deepest knowing requires some lengthy um, time or some specific practice. Yeah, some specific practice. And one of the things I've been trying to um, impart is that it could be, like you said, one minute, you know, two minutes. And Mm -hmm. and, um, it could be the moment before you go to bed or, you know, just some finding that one moment to just tune in. And I love that you kind of hinted at this idea of it being almost like a responsibility for us to be the carriers of this soul wisdom. Not that we want to add layers of responsibility on for right. anybody, but you just know, uh, with with great power comes great responsibility, and that's where our power is. 
You know, we have the power to heal. We have the power to give and receive. Like it is our power source. And often we're, when we're depleted, because we will be depleted, it's because we've disconnected from that. And, you know, as like a, a woman that's been a, you know, quote, quote, practitioner, it's not about the lengthy practice. It's about you finding your way of connecting. That's right. And then we, we teach our kids self-love through that. We mm. teach our kids that they too have that wisdom and that it's important to spend time with it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap up, um, if you met a mom who had no experience with movement, embodiment, meditation, yoga, dance, anything, what's one tool or resource that you would offer her to you know, start the process of building a deeper relationship to her body or her body wisdom? Mm. I, I think keeping it like easy, light, like just while you're cooking, while you're cleaning, put on a song, like put on a song and let your body just take over because we, we all know how to do that. We've, we've done that. We've always done that. Right. Like there's like so many funny YouTube videos of like a woman like mopping or something like that. And then a song comes on and she just starts like losing her mind and dancing. Right. Or even if it's with your kids and all things are happening around, just hone in on you and let your body lead for at least five minutes a day. It might be in like when you put on your sweater and it feels really good just to reach your arms up and you just stay in that for a moment. Like just taking five minutes with your body leading. That might mean your body might just say, lie me down and that's okay. Yeah. Like just being in that conversation with your body. Because what I've learned that any kind of prescription is like from outside is never really going to work for everybody. So finding the prescription, like having the doctor within you write the prescription of what you need, because it's going to be different for all of us, right? I wholeheartedly agree. I love that. Write your own prescription. (laughs) Right, right. Um, There's this one. the, you know what? I'm I'm gonna actually recommend something. This book, um, "Coming Home to Myself: Reflections for Nurturing a Woman's Body and Soul" by Miriam Woodman and um, Jill Malik. So they're like little kind of I don't want to say poems because they're not poems. She's a Jungian analyst, and they're like her wisdom distilled down into like little like half a page, one paragraph, two lines, and. It's insoling. Mm. Take a moment and take in a poem. In, oh, I like that. Right? Like just breathe in the words and that's enough. Yeah. Right. So, and I think keeping a lot of variety is important too. So we don't get yeah. all rigid about what we're doing. Well, because so many things can become, it's like they may break you out of a pattern at first, but then they themselves will become <laughs> habitual. Yes. Seen that happen more than I'd like to admit. Yes. yes. And in myself, My, me yes. too. I mean, it's why I, yeah. I'm aware of it because, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's something I've had to work on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. 
Well, Michelle, this has just been so wonderful. I feel so good having had the chance to connect with you and have you share your soul and body wisdom um, with me and with our listeners. And um, so thank you so much. Thank you so much. Like it's always extraordinary connecting with you. And this just was such a beautiful experience for me to go through and just honing in on what was at the beginning and where I'm at now with my kids. It's just, Mm. it's been just such an incredible journey. Thanks for listening to being mom. If you're enjoying this show, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. And for more information about this episode, go to beingmompodcast.com to find photos of Michelle and the links to both her website and the book she recommended. So I hope your day is filled with ease and I will look forward to sharing my conversation with next week's mama, who is all around just super rad. Until next time. Bye. Thank you for joining me at what? (laughs) 